Hello, I'm CM Conway, the filmmaker of the witty and poignant indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, now on Prime Video, and FunnyFailureFilm.com. On this now monthly podcast, we celebrate funny flubs, bodacious blunders, and miraculous missteps that happen to us as artists. So hone your funny bone and let's get started. Greetings to our podcast. Can you feel the beginnings of fall? Looking at the leaves turn autumnal colors and gracefully falling to the ground signals the beautiful changing of a new season. This show is inspired by our diverse grassroots indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood. The film follows Ellie, a bottom feeder actress, at the end of her rope in Hollywood when a life-changing event happens with her gay Latinx friend, Ben. A surreal twist unfolds with comedic results as she unwittingly becomes the key to a new take on Tinseltown, where failure is the star. The movie represents the courageous, hardworking, unknown actors and artists that comprise most of the industry itself and are often overlooked. Earnest characters also fall on their face now and then, yet transform their mishaps in miraculous ways. And that's what we try to do on this show. So if you're an artist and you have a story of a slip-up that you've turned into a stepping stone and would like to share it on the show, please visit funnyfailurefilm.com and click on Share Your Story. Today's tale is an edited excerpt of Chapter 15 of the Autobiography, All in the Day's Work, written by Ida Tarbell in 1939, when the author was 82 years old. Her actions were of a feminist, although ironically she was critical of the feminist movement that she benefited from. Perhaps she realized this as she ultimately defended the suffrage movement when women received the right to vote, and was quoted as saying women had ruled nations in some cases better than kings. She was a noted writer, lecturer, labor rights advocate, and investigative journalist, best known for her work, The History of the Standard Oil Company. This work helped dissolve the Standard Oil Monopoly. An interesting note is that Charles Klein's political play, The Lion and the Mouse, which is also the title of an Aesop fable, opened soon after Tarbell's series on Standard Oil had been published and the plot of the play was thought to be based on her campaign. This play had 686 continuous performances, which set a record for any American play in New York at the time. Tarbell's story is performed by Chufi Galazzi and is a LibriVox recording in the public domain. It was not until my signed contract to speak for 49 consecutive days in 49 different places was laid before me that I realized I had agreed to do what I did not know how to do. I had never in my life stood on my feet and made a professional speech. To begin with, could I make people hear? I felt convinced that I had something to say, and so did my sponsors. But to what good if I could not be heard? What was this thing they called placing the voice? I went to my friend Franklin Sargent of the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, 
told him of my predicament. After a first test, he agreed with me that I did not know how to use my voice, and that unless I could learn, I was letting myself in for a bad failure. Mr. Sargent was good enough to take me on as a pupil, uninteresting a one as I must have been. He began by putting me on the simplest exercises, but with severe instructions about keeping them up. I went about my apartment day and night shouting, Mame Mimo! Babe Bibo! I learned that the voice must come from the diaphragm, and that the diaphragm must be strong to throw it out for an hour at a time. Regularly, every morning and every night, lying on my back with books on my stomach, I breathed deeply until I could lift four or five volumes. By the time the circuit opened in July, I knew theoretically how to use my voice, but I soon found that to do it without now and then getting it into my throat, making horrible noises and throwing myself into nervous panics, I must be more conscious of it than was good for my method of handling my material. Indeed, it was not until my second year of speaking that I could count on my voice for the hour of the performance. I never came to a point where I did not have to ask that a glass of water be put within reach, just in case. I found a glass of water a safety device if my attention was distracted for a moment and I lost my line of argument. I could pick it up, pretend to drink, change my position, regain poise. So much for my voice. I knew how to make people hear what I was saying. Now as to material. I was to talk on the same subject day after day. That is, I was supposed to make daily the same speech. I was afraid of a memorized speech. A lecture experience of my old friend George Kennan was largely responsible for that. After he had published his classic work on Siberia, Mr. Kennan took his story to the lecture platform. He wrote his lecture with characteristic care, memorized it and repeated it night after night on the long tours he made. It was an admirable lecture, one of the most moving I ever heard. In telling me of his platform experiences, Mr. Kennan dropped this warning. In giving a memorized lecture, one must be very careful that no two sentences end with the same word. In my lecture on Siberia, I unwittingly used five or six identical words to end different sentences, one near the opening, the other near the closing of my talk. One night, when perhaps I was unusually tired, instead of picking up what followed the first sentence, I picked up the words that followed the second. That is, I was ending my lecture when I had only just begun it. I saved myself, but after that, I always took care that there were no two sentences in my talk with identical, even similar, endings. My memory is a tricky and unreliable organ, never properly trained, never held resolutely to its job. I should have been afraid to trust it on a lecture platform. Moreover, I realized that since I was no orator and never should be, my only hope was to give the appearance of talking naturally, spontaneously. I put together what seemed to me a logical framework and decided to drape it afresh every day, never to begin with the same words, to use fresh illustrations, to think aloud, experimenting. 
I soon discovered a fresh beginning every day was too much to ask of myself under the conditions of travel. I found it foolish, too, for if I had struck an opening that arrested attention, why change it for one that might not? I soon found that illustrations which were all right in an article did not serve with an audience. The line of argument which I would have followed in an article became more effective on a platform if switched. That is, as it turned out, although I was giving the same lecture every day, it was never quite the same. I worked on it constantly, and that is what kept my interest. I think because always I found however tired I might be, however much I despised myself for undertaking to do what I more and more realized I did not know how to do, I always was interested in my subject, talking as if it was something of which I had never talked before. It was that personal interest in my material which carried me through. This was a very interesting story of a complex woman. Because of her transition of being a writer, usually an introverted profession, to a public speaker, and needing consultation from a theatrical consultant to engage audiences with her speeches. Many actors can also relate to the verbal exercises and nerves she encountered that can take you over when you're in front of an audience. Ida Tarbell became a very prolific speaker. She also had a very even-handed approach that seemed to integrate logic at every turn. A formidable opponent of both fear and failure. Thank you for joining us in the How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood podcast. Copyright by Showstoppers and FunnyFailureFilm.com Intro and outro song, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star by David Mumford. Until next time, remember, mistakes makes art more interesting.